Well, good morning and great to be with you today. I tell you, I love your pastor. I grew up there in Gardendale and uh, like you said, moved in eighth grade. My dad served on his staff and really feel like in many ways, Brother Steve's still my pastor today. And so excited about this opportunity to study God's word with you. Uh, two years ago, we moved to Knoxville, Tennessee. Let me tell you how entering it's interesting it's been for the Alabama boy to move to Knoxville. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, there's one color in Knoxville, in case you're wondering, and it's orange. And, uh, and that's creeping into my closet, interestingly enough. So, uh, but I'm excited to study God's Word with you today. So grab your Bible and let's head over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we want to spend our time together today asking the Lord Jesus to teach us to walk in His presence. I hope that you have a passion for the presence of God today. I hope that above everything else in your life, you desire to walk in his presence, to listen to his voice, and to carry out his mission with your life. As we turn to Luke chapter 2, the, the first part of the chapter you'll recognize as the birth story here at Christmas, the birth narrative of how Jesus became a man and, and was born through Mary. But at the end of the chapter, I want to introduce you to two people that I believe really understood the presence of God and every day walked in it. Their names were Simeon and Anna. I feel like many times as we celebrate Christmas, we forget about these two important individuals who show us how to walk in the very presence of God. Simeon and Anna were regular folks. Simeon and Anna were not celebrities by any stretch of the word, but they had a dream to see the Messiah. They had a heart to truly watch God fulfill his promises in their life. They had what we might call today a bucket list. You have a bucket list? You know what I'm talking about. A, a bucket list is like a list of dreams or things you want to accomplish before you kick the bucket. And so for Simeon, he had a promise from God that he believed he was going to see the Christ before he died. And, and so he, he had this bucket list that had one item on it. And every day, the Bible says, he was going to see if today would be the day that God would fulfill his promise. I don't know how excited you are about your bucket list. Maybe yours includes like scuba diving or skydiving. I don't know why someone would jump out of a perfectly good airplane, but people do. So, you know, I don't, maybe yours is like, hey, I want to meet this person, or I want to experience this thing, or I want to go to this game. But here's Simeon who just says, man, I want to know Jesus. And maybe today God would call us out of our comfort zone and routine. Maybe today God would call us beyond what is the norm of religious experiences in the South. And maybe God would call us to be people with a passion to live every day in his presence. Over at Concord, one of the things we do is as we read the word together, we stand together. So if you're physically able, will you stand with me and let's read God's word together and study Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. The scripture says, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
And when the time came there for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So they brought him and they brought him to offer a sacrifice, verse 24, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled about what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight our rock and redeemer. Lord, we pray today that you would speak to us through your word. God, we pray today that we could be people like Simeon and Anna and walk in the very presence of God day in and day out. So help us, Lord. God, shape our hearts, transform our minds, do what only you can do today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this text we're reading is at the very moment that people begin to realize that God was active in their lives again. You see, what are you talking about, Pastor? Isn't God always active? Yes. Now, God's always active in our lives, but let me remind you, it's been 400 years since Jewish people have heard from God at this moment. I mean, sure, we understand John the Baptist was born, we know of the shepherds and the angels, we've heard the wise men on their way, like we, we know all of these things are happening, but for the typical person in Jewish culture, they feel like they've not heard from God in a very long time. And they're waiting to understand and see. And to the outside observer, this was just another ordinary day. There were no spotlights when Mary and Joseph entered the temple. There was no media frenzy. There were just two young people walking into the temple for a purification rite of their newborn child. In verse 21 and 22, we understand that Jesus is, is very young. At eight days later, he was circumcised just as he was supposed to be circumcised. Now he's going to experience these purification rites, and, and maybe you're wrestling with, well, why would Jesus have to do all these things? When he was circumcised, he was identifying with his people Israel. 
And now as he's going to be purified, he's identifying and submitting to the law, the law that only Jesus could fulfill. So in in your mind's eye, put this in the same category, this experience in the temple as his baptism later in his life. That he went through these moments to identify with us because of his great love for us. You see, understand here, God is not trying to make himself mysterious to you and I today. God has revealed himself perfectly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God is trying to teach us and show us his perfect plan for our lives. And his perfect plan is always found in his presence. And so in this moment that Jesus is submitting to these things, Mary and Joseph, oh, see this picture. They're coming into the temple with two turtle doves to bring a sacrifice that was sufficient while holding the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice that would be completely sufficient. What a picture of a mom and dad just trying to do what they were supposed to do to satisfy the religious requirement of the law while holding the Messiah sent from God. You see, at this point, Mary didn't know if anybody else knew who the child was that she had given birth to. At this point, there was still this, this kind of, who is this child? That's why it's so remarkable what Simeon was able to say later in the passage as he was able to tell Mary about all this child was going to be able to do. It's as if the Lord is confirming in Mary's heart time and time again the child that she has been gifted with. This is an encouraging moment to me because here we don't see Jesus or the Christ coming in palaces and private residences with everybody recognizing he's there. You don't see him coming in an entourage as a celebrity. But we see God delivering his Messiah through ordinary people trying to fulfill God's call for them. Friends, hear me today. Verse 21 to 27 of this passage, we can understand that God's work is carried out by everyday people. God's work is carried out by everyday people. We live in a culture of celebrity. We live where everybody's trying to become an influencer. We live in a day where everybody's just trying to be noticed and be known. But can I tell you, the people we're studying today were not those aspiring to be noticed and known on this earth, but they were people who were aspiring to be known by Almighty God and live in his presence. And this is a decision every single one of us have to make today. Are we trying to build ourselves a kingdom here, or are we trying to be involved in the eternal kingdom of God? See, God's work's being carried out by ordinary, everyday people, and you and I today have to reject the sense that we've got to be somebody to accomplish anything, because we don't have to be someone to accomplish something. We have to know someone to accomplish everything. And the one that we must know, his name is Jesus Christ, and the one that we must know lived a sinless life and died in our place and rose from the grave so that we could find security, identity, and hope in him. You see, this is our identity as a follower of Jesus. It's not that we become someone, it's that we know someone. And time and time again, my friends, we're distracted by our desire to be someone. 
But this desire has always been in the heart of sinful man. That's why the psalmist would write in Psalm 105, verse 4, the scripture says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. It's hard to be prideful and be in the presence of God. It's hard to be self-sufficient. In fact, it's impossible to be prideful and self-sufficient and truly know the presence of God. The presence of God is not for those who work the hardest or accomplish the most in their own power, in their own strength, but the presence of God is for those who truly know Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us access to the Father, and Jesus qualifies us for his presence, and through his stripes, through his sacrifice, we can truly know God. And friends, this is when your heart finds its home. Don't be confused today. You'll never find your home in this world because the home of your heart was designed to be in the presence of God. So Simeon and Anna just know the presence. They're listening to the Lord. And on a busy day in the temple where people are coming and they're going, they meet the Christ. Just wonder today if we might miss the presence of God because we're so busy. I just wonder today if we might miss the presence of God because we've got our agenda and our day and our task list. I just wonder this Christmas if it's not time to call us to center our lives on pursuing his presence, on seeking him, on knowing him and his strength. Because the truth of the matter is this year has distracted all of us. But can I tell you today, no matter what culture brings and no matter what pandemics rage, the presence of God is all you really need. And so Simeon and Anna here are helping us today wrestle and and think about are we pursuing God's presence They're helping us wrestle and and think, are we aspiring for anything other than just knowing God? Because Simeon got up every day and went to the temple waiting on God to make good on his promise. Anna lived in that temple, worshiped and fasted and prayed and was there when everybody else was going about their business, when everybody else was just hoping for something to break through. Anna was anticipating God to move. What's it gonna take for us to begin to anticipate a movement of God in our life? If God really showed up in your home, would it shock you? Or would you be anticipating and expecting God to move? If God really changed your school, teenager, would it shock you? Or would you be ready to go, excited about the future that God has? What if God rescued the wayward child? What if God transformed your workplace? Would you be so in tune with his presence that you'd be able to step in and minister? To step in and understand and know that God is on the move. Paul wrestled with this. He, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to what Paul would write. He said, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The presence of God is not a place for your pride, your ego, or your self-sufficiency. The presence of God is a place to humble yourself and enjoy what your heart was created to know. I mean, think about Simeon's reputation. Verse 25 calls him righteous, devout, waiting on the consolation of Israel, uh, whom the Holy Spirit was upon. Or about the reputation of Anna. Verse 37, she was living at the temple. She was fasting and praying night and day. And can I ask you today, what are you known for? Those that know you the best are you known as someone who walks with God and experiences his, pres his presence. Those that know you the best, are, are you one that has a reputation and an identity of just being a Jesus person above all else? Are you the businessman of the family or the attorney? Are you the one managing wealth? Are you the mom of the year every year? Like what identity are you taking on? And I would just tell you, you'll be restless until you take on the identity of being a person after God's heart and walking in his presence. You say, well, pastor, how do we do this? How do we really walk in God's presence? Well, the psalmist helps us. Psalm 24, verse 3, the scripture said, who should ascend the hill of the Lord? It's the same question. How do I know God's presence? Who should stand in his holy place, the psalmist wrote. And then he said, he who has clean hands and pure hearts, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and doesn't swear deceitfully, he receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such a generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. You see, friends, it actually matters how you live your life if you want to experience the presence of God. You can't continue to allow sin, those, those respectable sins culturally, those things that kind of weasel their way into our life and we have a hard time eradicating out. If you really want to know God's presence, you've got to pursue holiness at all costs and be a person that lives with clean hands and pure hearts. Or how about how the psalmist wrote it in Psalm 63, verse 1? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. If you really want to walk in the presence of God as an everyday person, yes, you've got to pursue holiness, but you've also got to become a true worshiper of God. My friends, it's not acceptable to phone in your worship. It's not acceptable just to go through the motions. In God's eyes, it's not acceptable just to give lip service to him. Notice that what the psalmist would say, that my flesh faints for you, my soul thirsts for you. I've seen your power, I know your glory, and I know your love is better than life. And he says, my lips will praise you. He's saying, I will give you everything that I have. Have you given the Lord your best today? Have you given the Lord your best in knowing him and honoring him and living in a way that glorifies him? And when you do, you'll know the very presence of God. Second, notice with me in the passage, verse 28 to 35, we can understand that God's work is carried out by people who listen to him. God's work is carried out by people who listen 
to him. Simeon and Anna, they were able to hear when no one else could hear. They're remembered for their hearing. They knew how to listen. Put it in your mind's eye, the older man going to the temple, listening for the Lord to say, that's the Messiah. Put it in your mind's eye that he's going and he's looking and every day he's listening and finally the day comes as Mary and Joseph enter that the Lord says, this is my Christ. This is the one I promised you of. And he goes and he holds him. Now every mom in the room kind of has a flag up right now. Don't be like, what mom in 2020 would hand their newborn babe to a stranger? Nobody would. And in this moment of faith, we see Mary and Joseph in the temple desiring for Jesus to be purified as he should, and he, she hands the child over, and Simeon begins to bless them. Simeon begins to articulate what Mary knew in her heart about the child, but no one else had articulated thus far. It was because of his ability to listen that he was able to truly walk with the Lord. Why is it that we have such a hard time listening to God? Maybe it's our impatience. Maybe it's because we want it now. We're looking for instant gratification. Maybe it's because when we interact with the Lord, we do all the talking. What is it that keeps us from truly hearing God's voice? I don't know what it is for you, but I can tell you a few ways to hear from the Lord today. If you really want to learn to listen to God, first, you've got to know God's word. You've got to know the word. God speaks to us through his word. The Bible says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. So God's word to you was not written in a vacuum. It's not an old book of religious history. It is the very life that God desires to give to you. That's why the psalmist wrote, he said, hey, hey my word is, it, it's, it's a lamp to your feet. It's a light to your path. Like, like he's going to show you his will through his word. God's not trying to hide his purposes for you. God's not trying to confuse you in hearing his voice. God's not trying to make things difficult. But we keep looking to hear from God in places that God has told us that he's not speaking He's told us how he's speaking. He's told us how to hear from him. And we hear from God through his word. And so friends, if you're not hiding God's word in your heart, how are you ever going to learn to hear God's voice? That's why our scripture memory is so important. That's why we got to be people of the book. That's how we truly understand his will, is that we become people who submerge ourselves in knowing God's word. And God's word's never been as accessible as it is today. Driving over yesterday from Knoxville, I turned on the Bible app, and guess what? I just started listening to the word in my car. You can listen as you drive down the road to somebody in a British accent reading the Bible. It's much cooler in a British accent. <laughs> then you can change it and have a lady read it to you in another accent. That was just as awesome. Like, the Bible is as accessible to us as it's ever been. And we've got to get it in our hearts that we can hear from God. You really want to hear from God? Look and know God's word. And then look at your circumstances. Look at your circumstances. God is allowing circumstances in our life to shape us and mold us. 
do not be confused today. God's goal is not your comfort. God's goal is to present you mature in Christ. And there are seasons and there are times that God will use uncomfortable circumstances to shape you into his image. I can tell you a time in my life that this happened. My wife Bridget and I got married in 2003 and thought we were going to wait a while to have kids, but we were surprised to learn shortly after we were married that she was expecting our first child. And the little boy was born in January of 2004 and he lived the day and passed away. Can I tell you about your pastor? He was pastoring in Gardendale then, and he drove to Atlanta, where we were at the specialist office, just to sit with our family. Can I tell you about your pastor? I can remember when he stood over the graveside of my son. I can see it like it was yesterday, and remember his words at the darkest day of my life, helping me understand that God's got a purpose and a plan. I can tell you, at that graveside that day, I felt hopeless and empty. God, how? God, what? God, why? But your pastor was there, and he was my pastor then too. And he encouraged me to understand that although this is difficult and hard, that if I would listen to God's voice through his word, he would use these circumstances to shape me into who he wanted me to be. God's desire for you is not that you escape suffering, but it's that you're presented mature in Christ. So listen to his voice. It's not just the circumstances. It's not just the word that we hear him through. I mean, we also need to learn to walk in the spirit. Let's just be honest. We as Baptists, we, we don't do a very good job of really understanding how to walk in the spirit. We tend to kind of back off, but can I just encourage you to know that God's given his spirit to counsel us and lead us and guide us. And that Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and righteousness. And that Holy Spirit will counsel us according to his word that we could walk with the Lord. I can remember growing up as a teenager when I would do things that were wrong. I didn't have to wait on my parents to tell me I'd done wrong. I knew I'd done wrong. Why? Because that Holy Spirit was wearing me out in my heart. By the time dad said something, be like, I know, I know, I know. And now as a parent, I'm thinking, come on, Holy Spirit. <laughs> I got a 12-year-old that's becoming a teenager. And I'm like, woo, boy. It's amazing, isn't it? I did student ministry for many years. In student ministry, we'd talk about how to, how to raise teenagers. And now I got a 12-year-old. I'm like, I don't have a clue how to raise teenagers. But see, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that even, listen to me, teenagers, the Holy Spirit that even your parents are dependent upon to counsel you. And if you will walk in God's Spirit, you will know His voice. You really want to listen to the Lord? You've got to follow God's peace. God is not the author of confusion. You've got to follow His peace. So he's not going to confuse you along the way. If, when you're praying towards things, I can remember just a couple months ago, Bridget and I were praying, asking God for his direction and will in our life, and, and there was one way that seemed confusing and another way that was filled with peace. You know where we walked? With the peace. Because God doesn't act opposite of his character, and he is called the Prince of Peace. And so as you're seeking the Lord and listening for his voice, go with the peace. 
And as you go with the peace, don't stop asking. Humbly seek God's guidance every day. There are a lot of us who are like, well, I used to pray about that. Let me just ask you to evaluate your heart today. What are the things that you used to pray about that you no longer pray about because you grew weary? Can I tell you, God still wants to hear your prayer. And if you'll listen to his voice today, he will lead you in the step and pathways to take. And he will be active in your life. But you've got to consistently go to him. Don't grow weary of asking God to move. Don't stop praying for the wayward child. Don't stop praying for God to reconcile your marriage. Don't stop praying for God to restore the relationship with the coworker. Don't stop praying for those that are far from God overseas. Don't stop praying for your neighbor to come to know Jesus Christ. Don't stop praying, asking God, begging him. Because as we seek him, we hear from him. That's what John wrote in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Oh, friend, if you really know the Lord, you hear from the Lord. And this is exactly what happened in Simeon, and he exploded in praise. Look at verse 29 in the passage. He said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Don't be confused. Simeon's not saying, now I want to die. He's saying, I can now have peace. The promise that God had given him was that he would see the Messiah before he died. So now he knows that he will have peace because his heart had been anxious and in turmoil because he knew of his need of a Messiah. And now God had delivered on his promise and Simeon was experiencing peace. And this peace that he is experiencing was brought about, verse 30, because his eyes had seen salvation. Oh, he used a very important word in this moment. He's, he's using a word that's calling Jesus the Messiah. He's calling Jesus the one fitted to save. And this teaches us a lot theologically because what Simeon is saying and what he's emphasizing is that God's plan was not to march a Savior through the world like a show pony at a horse show. But what God was doing was delivering salvation, which would require sacrifice. It's as if Simeon in this moment is recognizing the cost of the Messiah, that God, being rich in mercy, while we were still sinners, Romans 5, would send his only son to die in our place. This is the significance of salvation. It's not just God going by and saying, okay, it's all all right. No, there was a price to be paid for your sin and my sin, and it cost the babe born in Bethlehem his life. But oh, it gets better. He didn't just die so that we could have our sins forgiven. The Bible teaches that three days later he rose from the grave so that we could live victoriously. We're not just debtors. We are sons and daughters. We're not just strangers and aliens. We have not just been covered. We've been covered and welcomed in. And that's why we can know his presence today. So, oh, my friend, can I beg you to listen to God, hear his voice, and walk in his presence. Finally, this morning, notice in verses 36 to 38 that God's work is carried out by people who speak of him. It's carried out by everyday people who listen to him and speak of him. 
I love this moment. I, I, frankly, I kind of I laugh and giggle a little bit here because we've got this very serious moment with Simeon telling Mary and Joseph who their son really is. And then we meet this lady named Anna. And she's been a widow for a very long time and she's been living in the temple and she's known and marked by a worshiper who's fasting and praying night and day. In verse 38, look at in the scripture, as, and she was coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she knows Simeon, hears him declaring that the child in his arms is the Messiah, and she begins to tell everybody in the temple. Now, I'm sure there are people in your church, there are people in my church, and I, I know who they are, and I'm sure you do too, that if you tell them, they tell everybody. And you have to be very strategic about what you tell them because you know what you tell them everybody's going to know. And most times we stand as pastors and say, don't be that person. Don't be a gossiper. Don't be going telling everybody everything. But can I just use an example of Anna today to share it with you? There's one thing to gossip in this world. And the one thing to gossip is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you see her running all over the temple? There he is, there he is, there he is, there he is. The Messiah's come, the Messiah's come. Can you see the looks from a distance? Can you see the moment of anticipation building because this one who is known as a worshiper, this one who is known as the one who walks with God is going, our Savior has come in the baby in Simeon's arms. Oh, my friend, can I beg you today? to not neglect the work of evangelism that God's called to every one of us and learn from Anna and be someone always gossiping the gospel. If you gotta gossip, gossip the gospel. And she was going about her day telling everyone and notice what she was saying. She was declaring to them about the redemption of Jerusalem, that she was saying the one who will purchase our freedom is here. See, everybody in Jerusalem would have known that day that they were under Roman occupation. And in many ways, that season of Roman occupation was showing them they were still enslaved to their sin. I mean, God had constantly put his people in slavery. You think about the Egyptian bondage. You think about now in this moment with Rome under Roman occupation, God was constantly reminding his people that they were not free. And now when she uses that word redemption, the picture of that word is being set free from slavery. And she is declaring that the child born in Bethlehem came to set people free from the oppressive power of sin. And you and I today need to understand that every one of us live under the oppressive power of sin until Jesus sets us free. And when Jesus sets us free, we know the very presence of God. Can I just tell you today, I'm not selling you something I've never experienced. I'm telling you, I am a satisfied customer that the presence of God is better than anything this world can offer you. And I'm telling you, man, there are so many ideas of what you can pursue or how you could live or what life might look like, and there is just nothing better than the very presence of God.
And that's not a new thing. Like even in Simeon's day, if he would have gone to Herod, Herod would have talked about the, the power of the Roman Empire that was going to save them. But we know today that Rome fell. If Simeon would have gone to the Greek philosophers of the day, they would have spoken of the intellect and the knowledge that they possessed, how that would save them. But we know that that empire did not last either. And if he were to even go to the halls of Washington today and hear about the economic prosperity and all the good things and all the wonderful things that have happened, he would quickly understand that even that was not powerful enough to save. There is only one who can stomp out the darkness of our soul, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is only one that can welcome us into his presence, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's why Simeon would say, back up in verse 32, that the babe was a light for revelation for the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. So might I beg you today to stop wandering around in darkness when light has come. Run to the light of Jesus Christ and enjoy his presence because in the presence of God is the peace your soul is thirsting for. And in the presence of God is the fullness of joy that your heart is longing for. And in the presence of God is everything you'll ever need. So, old church, might I beg you this Christmas season, let's have a passion for his presence because it's found when ordinary people listen to his voice and do his work because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we thank you for your glorious gospel. We thank you for your marvelous light and we thank you that you still speak. Thank you God that you are living Thank you, God, that you are victorious. Thank you, God, that we can know you through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God, I pray today that we'd be hungry for your presence. God, I pray today that we would be resolved to know you above everything else, that we would not be sucked into a culture of celebrity, but we would be people who desire to make much of you and walk with you every day that you give us. With their heads bowed and their eyes closed, maybe you just say to me today, Pastor, the truth is I've never experienced the presence of God. The good news is that the scripture tells us that Jesus desires for you to experience his presence. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And when he hears my voice, answers it, I'll come in. Jesus wants you to experience the presence of God. But it's going to require repentance and faith so that he might come in. God is holy. And sinners are in need of a Savior to experience his holiness and his presence. So maybe this morning you're like, man, I've never experienced the presence of God, but I really want to because I'm exhausted. I'm tired of living the way I've lived. Maybe you're, you're home from college or, or maybe you're just watching online for the first time or, or possibly you're just trying to find your rhythm again. Your soul will only be at home in the presence of God.
So repent of your sin today. Ask Christ to transform your heart. He tells us he'll even give you a new heart. You can be a transplant today. Have a brand new heart. In God's eyes, they're not recovering anything, but they're brand new people. And that gift is available to you today. The idea of repentance is the idea of a U-turn. That you just acknowledge that you're going a certain direction, but that direction isn't leading you to life, it's leading you to darkness. And so you turn and walk towards the light of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the light of the world. So if you're lost in darkness today, come to the light of Jesus. Whisper a prayer in your heart, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of faith. That's what the Bible tells us to do, to call on the Lord to be saved. Just whisper a prayer, say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and today I ask you to forgive me. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, forgive me. And God, I want to enjoy your presence. I want to know your peace. I want to experience your joy. God, I want to live by faith and not by sight. And friend, if you just prayed that with me, welcome to the family of God. We want to invite you to tell somebody. In just a minute, we'll be singing, and our pastors will be across the front. You could come to one of those pastors. They'll be masked up. It'll be socially distant, but they'll help you understand what it means to enjoy the presence of God and to walk with our Father. So when we're singing, in just a moment, you come to one of them and and let them help you walk with the Lord and enjoy his presence. For the rest of us, how many would just say, hey, Pastor, in my life, it's felt as though the presence of God is a long way off. And this Christmas, I want to experience God's presence. Will you just raise your hand and say, that's me? It's Christmas. You evaluate your heart. God, am I living with clean hands and pure hearts? God, am I passionate about you above everything else? I'm going to learn to listen through his word, through his spirit and the circumstances, with his peace consistently and continually and then when you hear from him you're going to tell everybody Father God that's who we want to be today I pray for these brothers and sisters who lifted their hands I pray today that you would encourage their heart and strengthen their soul they would be reminded of how much you love them how you were the sufficient sacrifice that they might be welcomed in your presence. And today, God, might I be able to cast aside the things that are keeping them from your presence and truly walk with you. We thank you, God, for your presence. May it guide our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.